I'm Om's mom. Om was 16. He was murdered by his dad during unsupervised parent time. We need your help to keep kids safe in our state. If I had stayed, he would have killed us all. Mm. That's just, that's the truth of it. Yeah. I can't let this happen to anyone else. If I can do something, I will. Because I do not want any other protective parent to feel this way, ever. We had 14 years of mm. court abuse. Many years of abuse before that. But 14 years of protracted litigation, basically being involved in family court, where I told the courts over and over again about his dad's substance abuse and sexual assault history and child abuse and the whole nine yards. Um and over they and over. were, and through the system, when, as we were caught up in it and caught up in all the evaluations and all the extra hearings and all of these things, the courts didn't actually see or, and also didn't act on what I was trying to convey. And that's really what this law is meant to do is to help to untangle these situations, give courts more tools to really understand abuse and understand how to identify the safe parent and get kids to safe parents as soon as possible so that things don't last this long mm -hmm. so that children are not killed okay welcome <laughs> to the julie Jepson podcast i am here with leah moses i knew her like over 20 years ago we were in the same university ward up at the university of utah where we met both of our husbands. Um, it was a ward with like 500 people in it. And uh, sometimes six or seven. Yeah, there were huge. so many. And I wasn't even was supposed huge. to be in the ward. I, I, wasn't in the, yeah, I wasn't in the boundaries, but he let all of us in. This bishop was great. So a lot of things have been happening around the country and in the state of Utah when it comes to um, children's rights and um, protective parents. And Leah has been... A thousand percent involved in that and so i want i wanted to talk to her because this is so important right now for so many women that are dealing with this she's got an incredible and heartbreaking and tragic story that we're going to make triumphant in the end so leah i mean just start with your story this is just conversation like i mean just take it away well this is a lot easier i have to say just with you yeah than it was when i just testified in the house judiciary committee oh my gosh like because how intimidating was that she full-on <laughs> was speaking like giving her testimony of what happened with her domestic violence situation in front of politicians yeah it was and intense. airing out everything for the first time right? right right i mean even my family hadn't heard some of the things that i talked about in that testimony so you can find the testimony actually on the judiciary website and we can yeah probably post i can that. link yeah, that yeah. yeah it's i mean warning it's not you know it's not pretty <laughs> it's not but they think that if I go all the way back to the beginning you know I was really really classic educated and um, I mean I came from a great family yeah. no abuse in my background that I you know, I just did not know the red flags so when I that's because in, when we are in young women's we're like <laughs> go on a mission and and, and follow, I did. follow the right? yellow brick road to the it. temple <laughs> and we're both active members of the church still yes, yes. but oh, there are things right. that Maybe it, could have been addressed back then. <laughs> culturally, I think yes. we're improving. Yes. 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 So, yep, I did I did all of it, right? Acted my whole life, BYU, taught at the MTC after mission. Dang. I mean, all, all of the things that you would think, you know, that's, but that's actually what in some ways 
led me down this path of mm. not understanding abuse mm-hmm. because I was surrounded by so many good people. Loving I mean, people, loving people family. Ward, my yeah. family's fantastic. And I think that when it hit me, it really hit me hard. <sighs> so, you know, met this guy who had been, I, he was like, I mean, just seemed phenomenal from the outside. Yeah. And then this PhD had all... Like, Did he have it then already? He had the PhD, he had lots of aspirations. He had just... Um, like the charisma, you know, of like the usual narcissist that you, you, know, you meet. Mm-hmm. Um, and I did not know until it was too late really what had happened before. And mm-hmm. I mean, his whole life, like intense porn addiction, all kinds of issues in his family. And um, Okay, so back it up. I wasn't I don't the know. first one. Yo, I'm sure. <laughs> nope. Not the first not victim. The first and one. you're usually not because they go to their next supply. Right. So you met him at church. He had a PhD. Well, I met him through a friend. Through a friend. Yep. Uh-huh. And then he followed yep. you to, and then he we believe, followed, yeah, yes. followed you yes. to the ward. Uh-huh. But I mean, did you fall in love with him? Did you feel like you, like you were being courted? Like he was dating at, you? At first, for the first very, very short while. And then, you know, and I shared this already with the Judiciary Committee, which again, was so challenging. But, you know, when... When there's sexual assault, and mm. sometimes I use a clinical term because I'm in medicine and women's yeah. health, but yeah. really, I mean, most people understand it as rape. When when you are in the position that I was in, you know, faithful, believing, hoping, all yes. of that, and, um, you know, I was 27, 28 at the time, um, after someone does that to you mm-hmm. and then continues... <laughs> You feel like you are tr- totally trapped and can't get out. So when she I talked to me about this, used. yeah, she talked to me and she kind of related it to the Elizabeth Smart experience because so many times people said, "Well, why didn't she just leave?" And when people said that to you now, what have you? What do you say? It's not that easy. It's not that easy. And just when they say leave. they're going to kill you if you tell anybody what they've done, then oh you start gosh. to believe them. So, how, okay, how comfortable are you backing up? I mean, he raped you multiple times, multiple times, and you didn't report it because he's threatening you. Right. And I was scared. And, and I also scared. felt like I had this, I mean, I had the reputation of, you know, I mean, I, I felt like I thought I was a good person, yeah. you know, and I thought, MTC well, this doesn't teacher. happen, this doesn't happen yeah. to good people, but it really does. And I think moving on from that, you know, when, um, I found out that I was pregnant and then, um, you know, what else was there to do, but yeah. get married. Of course. And culturally that's a, another completely challenging topic and a conversation for another day. But, um, were you... Did your family, were they upset at you? Were they disappointed? They Nobody knew you were pregnant. No were they knows. upset that you weren't getting married in the temple? Sure, of course. Yeah. yeah. And I don't know I would say upset, but like disappointed. disappointed. It didn't make any sense. The pieces didn't fit together. And that's actually one thing that we all can do is when you notice in someone's life that, that it's like not incongruent, yeah. I think it's really, really important to recognize that that's a, there's a possibility that something is wrong. Because surely they were all saying, well, Leah's smart. Like she knows what she's doing when... Well, I was She's in the middle of grad school. Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh-huh. And so you'd think that I know someone who has um, formal education and right. like a solid LDS background, this is never going to happen, mm-hmm. but it, that that is not the case. And is this like, I mean, rape where you, I mean, I'm, I'm thinking of the movies where the woman is screaming and fighting or are you just submissive because you're scared? That's another place that is hard for me to go to. Yeah. yeah. Okay. But I... I understand what you're saying because yeah. I think what you're I think what you're getting at is that our idea is media. Like it right. all comes from media. So right. you're like you think of movies. Right. And um, until and I mean so many of us have been sexually assaulted that and hardly any has come have come forth yeah. with like the real story. Yeah. And so what we know is media. Exactly. And that's why people come up with this like well yeah. it was the short skirt or it was of the whatever. Course. Well I didn't ever have a short skirt, you know, <laughs> when right. that was in mind. Right. Um but I think that there's um, something to be said about believing 
the victim. That's the most important thing that we can do. Yeah. And was there ever a time when you did reach out and, and or not? And you weren't believed? I mean, it was much later. Much later. I, I just, yeah. I, it was totally isolated. Like yeah. he used every, every tactic yeah. there, there, there was. To silence you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So the other tactic that he used too was what he had done with other women. And, um, you know, I mean, I was dropped off at the doorstep of Planned Parenthood and told you will abort this child. And so that's, well, he would, I mean, I didn't even call him a child. So that was really my first experience. Did you tell him you were pregnant? So he knew that I was pregnant. Mm-hmm. He told me, you, you will get an abortion. And it now that I look back, I realize he knew exactly what to do. He knew mm-hmm. where to go. He knew, he knew, he, yeah, you're like, you've done this before. Yes. I'm oh not the first. And I wasn't the last either. So as I was dropped off, I just knew. In that moment, I knew I had a choice to make. It was either my child's life. Yeah. And then I, I knew that it was basically like prison after that. I mean, that's really what it was going to be. So it was either that or I could be free, but I didn't know ever how, I, I didn't know how I would totally become free yeah. of him. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was intense. So that was, that was my decision. One or the other. But what was his threat? Like if you kept him? Well, you'll never be a mother. I'll take him. Like this is you know that you're doing this to yourself, like this is your fault. Mm. You know, all of the usual threats. But I wish I could be even more articulate yeah, about it right yeah. now, but I think it's like... It but but you did so say to emotion. me, oh, I'm sure. Yeah. Unless... <laughs> it's okay. I haven't even... <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's so yes. It's so intense. <laughs> I know. Because I'm like, um, you did say to me it was the one reproductive choice that you had. The Like the one. It was the one reproductive choice that I made alone that... Um, where When I think I still had the choice, right? We weren't married yet. Um it might have been a little bit easier. I mean, I had friends tell me, I, I'll give you X amount of money, like thousands to, to get leave the there. country. You should yeah. move to Australia. They're very family friendly, you know. Go and change your name, disappear, don't ever come back. Um, because they knew that it was, you know, that bad. This is this is after I was born. Hmm. I mean. But he would have found you. He would have found me. He would have found you. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you have Om. Tell me about him. He's the most incredible kid. Cute little boy. He's so sweet. <laughs> and he has, he has, um, his personality was so calm from the very beginning. Mm. I didn't fully get to choose his name, but I think it just fits him. It does fit him perfectly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, his name means peace. That's what he meant his whole life. There were times when. And it's what he still means. It's what he still means. Yes. It's what he represents to me now. Totally. Um, yes. And people ask, why are you doing this? Why, why, are you, why are you even telling this story? Yes. Why are you even out there? Why are you talking about this? I mean, I haven't yet, right? I waited and waited and waited till I knew I had a real purpose. But now that this legislation is out in his name, which we can talk about. Yes. Um, I mean, the reason for it is that I, I can't let this happen to anyone else. <sighs> if I can do something, I will. Because I do not want any other protective parent to feel this way ever I mean, Leah could essentially right now wash her hands of everything and be done. She's, for lack of a better word, she's she's free. She's free of the violence. She's free of the what she says. She's being from being hunted, which is like I can't even wrap my head around like you were hunted, you know. And she's free of that because um, tell us what happened nine months ago. Well, fast forward the story. Um past all kinds of like or maybe drug we can go there. And porn addictions. No, nah, I mean we can we can fast forward it. It's okay.
but through all of the, you know, I, I left several times, I completely moved out, I started to file for divorce and then, you know, went back again and people will ask all the time, yeah. right? Why did you go back? And why doesn't she just leave? Why yeah. didn't she just leave permanently? I mean, I was in the basement of the YWCA looking at the power and control wheel, which I think is a really mm-hmm. critical tool, mm-hmm. even though it's very gendered and it's, it, it was made a long time ago. It still was, I just, when I looked at it, it was a tool for me. I could not believe that someone had mapped out my life. Yeah. I mean, and that other women had had and are going through it. Mm-hmm. And that, that I was not alone. alone. Yeah, that I wasn't alone. <laughs> we said the same. <laughs> Which way? <laughs> Jinx. <laughs> yes. Oh my um, gosh. So I think that that's really that was a real turning point for me when I found that, and I still have my original power control wheel that I got. I don't even basement. know what that is. It's a piece of paper that it's a, it was like this little shredded copy that I have now. Um, when I got it, it was a domestic violence detective that handed mm. it to me and said, it sounds like you're experiencing some of these things mm. and we can look at that and yeah. you can even put it up. But okay. basically goes through different components of the ways that abusers manipulate, like the actual specific ways. They use children, they use isolation, mm. they use financial control, mm. they use emotional control. There are several different components. And even though the language is more like 80s, 90s sounding yeah. now, yeah. no, it still applies. It's still the same. When did you realize like, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm being abused? Or I mean, I'm sure you knew it from rape, but like that one's so much more clear than the emotional and the psychological abuse and financial abuse. Like when did you finally say to yourself, oh, do you remember? I think when I realized that I did not actually know which, during which one of the rapes had almost conceived. Mm. And then the next step was getting over the discussion about, you know, I'm going to kill you if you ever tell anybody. <laughs> and then the next step was, I mean, and so many more in between, right? The yeah. next maybe major step was finding that power and control wheel and realizing mm. oh this, my gosh. this, truly is unsafe and then after that was having you know birth control withheld like you wouldn't allow me to actually get any device and I couldn't go pick up he would stop me from using the car to go to the pharmacy to pick up pills but then he wants you to uh, uh, it makes no I sense know. <laughs> because they don't because it's not logical like uh, abuse isn't logical right and right. all, the other thing I think it's really important to remember is that the steps to get out of abuse often don't seem logical from the outside either. Mm-hmm. And the way that abusers manipulate and and twist things around creates a scenario where it's just, it's almost impossible for someone who hasn't had the experience to understand. 100%. Yeah. So Unless they've watched it. Unless they have a close family friend. Yeah. Or... Yeah. Neighbor. It's like it's like I was talking with Leah before. I was like, I wouldn't be doing this interview. She's my friend though, and I knew her and I was like, this is such a good cause. This is such a wonderful thing to protect kids and parents, uh protective parents. This and I have a voice and I have all of you. So many mothers who are so loyal and have had my back and supported me through my own heartache and I've got this team of women who are just loyal and strong and faithful and want to help and I'm like this is the place we've got to do it here because these moms are going to support so um in between all of the I mean you're dealing with a legal custody battle for years right 14 years mm-hmm. and and the court system like I believe like so many of us believe like you're going to go and show all the evidence he's abusive I've been raped um 
He said he was going to kill me. There's all these threats. I have the proof. And somehow the abuser still gets custody. Like, what was your experience with that? So I thought the same thing. Yeah. I really thought, I'm just going to go and tell the truth. Yes. And they're going to believe me. And here I have these small kids. I mean, Om was young at the time and his sister was really young. And I thought for sure that... So sisters conceived through. and raped as well. Right. Mm-hmm. And I hid that pregnancy as yeah. long as I possibly could. Yeah. I mean, I was pretty healthy, so you couldn't quite tell. And um, you know, he didn't know till I was at least three months. And so I really didn't... I didn't even get prenatal care with either one of them until much later in the pregnancy. I mean, it, it's fine. They're healthy. It, it yeah. all worked out well. Right. I mean, I feel like that was a... And this a is coming from blessing. a midwife. I mean, she's scared. Well, now I'm a midwife, yes. right? Yeah. <laughs> at the time, I... Um, I just didn't dare um, tell him because I didn't know what he would do. Yeah. And I had a pregnancy in between those two. You talked about that. And I actually said this in my Judiciary Committee hearing testimony because I felt like it was very significant. I wanted them to understand the level that abusers will go to. And the very, very short story is just that I had a miscarriage and he flushed it in front of me. And it was... um, and it was obvious, and it was well-developed, and mm-hmm. it was, um, you know, I know more now, and so I can talk about it more clinically with, without the intense emotion that I had at the time and many times after that. But I think for the purposes of you and I talking today, the only reason why I bring it up is not to create drama or to, you know, embellish anything, but just to say, like, this is the real truth. Like, this is the kind of person that he was, and this is the kind of person that so many abusers are, and things that happen behind closed doors, we're afraid to say. Yeah. And, you know, rightly so, because you you feel it, it brings up so much, so much emotion. You feel like I'm you like, look crazy. I'm like, how is she even <laughs> you know? holding this back? Like, I'm on the verge of crying, and I mean, I'm sure you've had it. I'm sure you're all teared out. But, like, how are you even able to maintain composure talking about this stuff? Well, part of this is the, the purpose, yeah. right? So, I mean, Om, <laughs> Om turned 14, and prior to that, he would beg, beg and beg and beg, please, please, someone needs to listen to us. Mm-hmm. And he knew that the law in Utah in particular is, you know, when kids are 14, they may have the chance yes. to be able to talk to some decision maker. And early on, we had custody evaluations. I mean, he was very young at the time. And the determination from the custody evaluation was 50-50. So that's like the, basically, they call it a rebuttable presumption. So the idea is that most of the time, in most cases, parent both parents should be involved. Yeah. Well, that's when there are two healthy parents. Correct. Right? Yeah. So when there's an unhealthy parent or unsafe parent, that needs to be completely, the decision needs to be completely different. They need to use a different filter. And I kind of like to use my medical analogy, mm-hmm. which is um, like triage in the emergency room. Mm-hmm. So not too long ago, a mom came into my hospital and I'm a board certified midwife. So I, I am in a hospital. I have prescription privileges. I admit, I discharge, I do all the, all the deliveries, yeah. right? Um, and a mom came in and she was bleeding postpartum and needed some medication. Well, you know, of course, the right thing for the ER doc to do is to call a consult. So you call mm-hmm. a consult and you make sure that the right specialist comes to take care of the problem. Right. So we helped her. Everything worked out well. It was all right. We gave her the right meds. We did all the right things. But what if he had called, you know, I don't know, the orthopedist right. or the cardiologist or, the or like whoever, somebody else. Yeah, exactly. Right. That didn't match what mm-hmm. she needed. Mm-hmm. Would 
we have been able to avert that emergency and help her in the fastest way possible, the most efficient, like not to mention the least expensive, right? Right. But that's how I... It just makes sense. Exactly. That's what courts should be doing. They're trying in some ways, but are not getting it right. Mm -hmm. And that's the reason why I'm still, why I'm going. That's the reason why I can still stand up today Mm -hmm. and say, all right, some things need to change. Because my experience drug... I mean, it just dragged on for so long. I call it, you know, protracted litigation. Did right? they get to hit, did he, was he heard at age 14? So 50-50, early, early on when he was young, I actually had temporary orders to be able to move away for a short time. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it was it, until the divorce was finalized. And when I move away, I mean, leave the county, yeah. you know, because he yeah. wanted, he really wanted for my, <laughs> how do I go back and say this? Um, he demanded in in court, right, in front of a commissioner that they call him doctor out of respect. Uh-huh. <laughs> and he was demanding that I live next door to him in this cinder block mouse infested duplex that he had bought to keep us both in the same place so he could monitor me and monitor the kids. When Ohm walked out the front door with his sister, I didn't know if they would come back. Mm. That day, the next day, two days later, he would just take them. When we didn't have temporary orders, he would basically kidnap them. Yeah. And I didn't know when I would see them again. And legally. And I thought. There was nothing. Nothing I could do. Yeah. But I didn't know that at the time. Yeah. I thought, well, I'm going to call 911. This is like, this is an emergency. My family's like, you need to call. You need to call. This is a, this is a kidnapping. Um, but, you know, they would say, well, this is a civil matter. You need to take care of it. Sounds like your high conflict divorce issues mm-hmm. are really rearing their head. You know, you really shouldn't live next door to him. But I had no access to money. I was begging for money for diapers before that, right? Begging. Let's not forget that she has two <laughs> master's degrees. Oh, now. <laughs> yes, time, now, but you were still yes, well-educated. At the time, I had a bachelor's and a yes. master's degree. Yes. Yes. Uh-huh. And I was actually moving into trying to do prerequisites for medical school. Yes. A medical student <laughs> speaks two languages, like, is smart. Like, this doesn't... It's like she said in a previous podcast, you think that this is happening to poverty-stricken women or... I mean, what were other examples you said? Just other de- demographics. I mean, honestly, really, we really think that it it, we happen- do. it happens to the other, right? Like, oh, it's oh the people else. in the slums, like, no. Which it does. Yes, of Every course. <laughs> and that's um, all we think it is. But like, right. highly educated, um, grew up in a loving home and abused, raped, manipulated, coerced, controlled. And she couldn't get out of it. So, so you, they say, take care of it yourself. There's no legal, there's... There's no orders. Well, that's what, you know, police have to say that. They didn't know. And now that there's lethality assessment protocols, and that's just as of last year, police mm. are meant to ask specific questions oh. that can help them understand and determine the severity of what's going on and then be able to refer to, you know, shelters and advocates mm. and all of that. That's something that's very new. Um, the idea of a danger assessment's not new. It's like many, many years old. Mm-hmm. But that but now there's there are more laws around that so when i realized that there were more laws around that recently yeah i felt like you know now's the time also if our state and other states are, are have been looking closer at those lethality assessment protocols or like doing a danger assessment for adults in situations mm-hmm. why are we not doing danger assessments for children seriously why isn't there a lethality assessment protocol literally laminated on, on every decision maker's desk like it should be on every bench mm. it should be it should be used in every custody evaluation. And so that's in some ways what Ohm's law or House Bill 272 in Utah is, or Caden's law known nationally, yeah. is like, it's the idea is, let's bring this up. 
Let's right. make sure that cords are using the lens or the filter, just like I talked about in the emergency room. Call yes. in the right specialists who actually do understand and not the ones who actually don't know anything about mm-hmm. the case mm-hmm. or understand the case but want to manipulate or understand the case so well that they know they can make money off of it. Mm. That's really critical. <sighs> I got yeah, so overwhelmed. So <laughs> With all of this stuff, it's so, it's so, like, you just think that goodwill and, like, being truthful will, will reign. And it's not always the case when money's involved. And it's like you said, don't have the eye surgeon go deal with the heart transplant. You want the right people working on the right job and doing, doing it honorably. Um, so some people won't even know what Caden's Law is. So, so how did this all come about? We, we've got to get to yep. May, right? Right, right. So what happened in, was it in May? Last May. May, May of 2023. Mm-hmm. So Om was about to finish his junior year. And for the 18 months before that, I had, hadn't seen him very much. I mean, we had regular statute parent time, which if anybody looks that up, it's, mm-hmm. you know, there are lots of different ways to do this, but the actual like legal format is very complicated and I mean, I try to explain to people, you know, it's, you, Ohm was 16 when he died, but it, to me, it was like he was eight mm-hmm. because I had only had half of his life with him, mm-hmm. a little over half his life, maybe more like 10 because he was with me full time during the temporary orders that we had. dad is given is has custody of the kids and then it's taken away from him so right? early on we had a custody evaluation where it was determined the kids should be split 50 50 mm-hmm. which following statutes means that it's like you know every other weekend but not just that it, we had a 225 schedule which mm-hmm. anybody who's even involved in this or you have friends or family you understand it's like literally every two days the kids are going back and forth right so with healthy parents then maybe that would work right because right. then the kids could be involved in sports and whatever else no that yeah. never happened for us no. it was bouncing back and forth completely different um caretaking abilities mm-hmm. as you can imagine mm-hmm. right the porn addict who would just like leave them with no food or, or wouldn't even be there or it was like a nanny here and there I mean, just completely different and right? something that she testified about was that he was showing um like the benefits of masturbation right all kinds of things yeah so so many how do we say it was just an unsafe environment. I, that's an understatement. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. There's you no, even... there's no way to explain it. I mean, everything that was age inappropriate, you know, all over the place and it and got then, worse and worse and worse. And then you read his journal. Yes. That was the point that I actually finally decided that was the final straw. Mm-hmm. And that's when he said he yeah. was worried. We were living in that duplex side by side. He was controlling everything. I mean, following me, literally following me everywhere. <laughs> And I was running out of money and had really, like, nothing to live on. And we did only had the temporary orders. I knew that he would never really pay child support anyway. And so as soon as I found those journals, I realized, like, that's it. I got to get out. What happened was I looked in this, I mean, the garage was a total dump, right? It was mm-hmm. full of all kinds of garbage, including, like, 
old psych reports of patients and other things like that. I mean, just full of garbage. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I happened to, and I know that it was, it was inspired. I mean, I walked directly to the right box. I found this stack of journals that I had never seen before, these binders. I opened it up. I happened to open up to the right page and there it was. I'm a sex addict. I'm a child molester and I'm afraid I'll do it even to my own children. Oh and gosh. that was written when he was 20, 21. Oh my gosh. What happened? Like, did the your kids heart were sink? outside. I went and got them. We came inside. It was like early afternoon. I put them to bed and I just kept like, I mean, I was like spinning. What do I do? What do I do? What do I do? He's abused me for this long, but that's when I first realized now I can put all the pieces together, at least the ones that I had at the time. Now I understand that it's not just me he's abusing. He's also been abusing my kids too. I don't know how I didn't realize that. It's really, really common. Because you I like want pe- to, to feel the best in Again, someone. I didn't yeah. grow up with it. You, I was in the place of trying to like piece things together. I had to be careful about everything I said and did. I that knew that did they talk reported. to you about it, your kids? The journals? Their abuse. Oh, yes. <laughs> so later on then, I mean, soon after that, things started to come out. Mm. Um, but I took those journals to a, de- a domestic violence detective and, you know, the guy read it over and he said, well, I could also be a millionaire too. I mean, I could write that <gasps> oh I was a millionaire, but where's your evidence? Where's your proof? So the burden of proof is just so heavy on the protective parent. I mean, and here I thought it's written in his own handwriting. I can prove this. Like, here's a whole lot of other handwriting samples like in my mind it was like no well, brainer detective then you would detect that yes. this is a problem yes you don't even have to do any of the work you don't even have uh-uh. to take your little magnifying glass yeah. like it's nope. right nope. It was here right there. so i think finding those was that was the tipping point for me for sure at that moment i knew that there was no going back i had to get out and i filed for protective order i filed i refiled for a divorce mm-hmm. <laughs> and um and decided did all your fears it. kind you of can, just be like, like whatever like i'm done you can abuse this is this is exactly what I'm gonna say something that doesn't make any sense at first, but just listen to it. I know, my yeah, thinking was say. you can abuse me, but, but you're you not gonna abuse my children. Me. Even though I knew he already had. So at that moment then was when we went and I was able to get these temporary orders to be able yeah. to move. Yeah. Um leave the county anyway. I mean, this is a terrible example, but it reminds me of Robin Hood Prince of Thieves when she's being raped by the sheriff of Nottingham and she's like you may take this body, but it will not be me. It's not, it, it wasn't ever you. Nope. No. It and it wasn't, me. yeah. Mm-mm. It was never no. you. And that's why the work that I'm doing now is so critical. Is that um, I have the freedom now mm-hmm. to be able to speak out. And I didn't have that before. You have to be so careful. That's what people don't understand. Um, and they really don't understand why, why say parents stay well is it better to be with your kids 24 hours a day if you possibly can right or as much as you possibly can or have a little bit more control over that Mm -hmm. or is it better to get out get divorced follow a parent time statute where you have zero control of what happens when they get out of the car right so right they can go to the other parent who you know is abusive you've been trying and trying to tell courts are that 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 person is unsafe in every way but you have no control. No and control. if you don't send them, and I had to explain this to family and friends, it would be like saying... Then you get, like the misdemeanor, like you get charged. <laughs> you get... I mean, I, I try to explain it to family and friends. It, it It's like you have a neighbor, you know, down the street, whatever, that you're, that you're ordered. You have a court telling you your kids have to go there. You know that they're a predator, 
But if you don't send them, then you are in violation of parent time, yes, which you're means in you're in contempt of court, yeah. right? So it doesn't matter what the abuser does. If you can't prove it, you know, with forensic evidence and everything else, then you have to continue to send them. So it doesn't matter if they're going to be abused tonight, tomorrow, mm-hmm. this weekend. Mm-hmm. You still have to send them. And, and they, they don't are, take the kids' testimony. Like they don't care what the kids say. So that's where uh, the court-appointed professionals should step in, right? So guardian ad litem, custody evaluators, and Did that work like, for you? all of the rest. No. 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 Why? No. I'm... I mean, I think that this is where we need to look at this yes. and make sure we can use the right. Mm. So a guardian ad litem, if you're unaware, is basically an attorney designated just to, just for kids, right? Yes. So imagine, I mean, if you're in the place of a guardian ad litem, they typically, I I, I want to believe, are yeah. attorneys, LCSW, With the people who kids in their best interest. Have yeah. best interest of kids, yes. right. And they'll um, go to you know, great lengths for schooling and all of that kind of thing. I'm not necessarily for this, but they discover that this is a possibility within their career scope and then decide, hey, I want to, you know, I'm going to help kids. And once they get into it, I can imagine that, you know, you realize that when you're in the position of power, you know, you're someone who can determine where kids are going to live. Yeah. You get to decide and what you're going to say out loud in court and the courts will believe you like 100%. Yeah. um, You know, which parent is actually acting in the best interest of the child. And, and so, that power feels good. Right, yeah. right. So you realize that you have control basically over the whole situation. And I think that in that those scenarios, a guardian ad litem and a custody evaluator has the ability, they literally have the ability to change lives. Mm. They literally have the ability to save lives. Mm-hmm. But I don't think that there is enough of an understanding to know that that is the case. Yeah. I mean, when I was standing in the parking lot of <laughs> with the detectives... At the time that I found out that Om was gone, and I saw it on their clipboard that they had written, I saw something about um, gunshot wounds, and I mean, then I knew. We, I thought, I wonder if the guardian had let him and the custody evaluator still alive, and so yeah, like we had would go after an them. attorney with us, and they called, and basically the answer was, well, I guess that wraps up the custody evaluation. Oh, no, it just makes me sick. So I think. That's something to seriously consider and understand that just like you mentioned, most people believe that you go to court, you tell the truth, and that the safe parent gets the kids. End of story. Done. Never go back. You you finish it. And that, you know, everyone honorably pays child support and that you can live and keep going and the safe parent like keeps the kids in the same schools and they all have and and then everyone gets therapy and all the therapy is great because Mm -hmm. the therapists have every kind of good intention and then you just move on and this happens very quickly people think that it's just like a a fast turnaround like the movies it is not it is 14 years of absolute hell oh my gosh Uh leah when you okay so you tell us what happened what what did he do what did what did Ohm's dad do? Well, he got full custody of him in 2021. And then 18 months later, he shot him. And I always thought it would be me. I always thought it would be me. I mean, from the very beginning. You know, he always said he would kill me. My IQ was so low I couldn't function, that I'd never be a mother, that if I made any attempt to tell anyone what he had done, that he that the kids would disappear. Yeah. And, you know, as a protected parent 
you're going to just do what someone says when they have the proverbial gun to your head you know oh my gosh i mean i would be in corners with him as a baby holding him and the wall you know punched next to my head multiple times and so you it doesn't matter how close the punch like goes and like freezes past your face you know holding the newborn that like your your head's going to be next and all you had to do is threaten close enough and this is what they do (laughs) they come super close to the line and closer and closer and closer and just keep coming closer to that line the boundary mm-hmm. in everything right in every order and in, in every scenario and you know eventually they're going to cross it and i tried and tried and tried to say he's going to cross this something's going to happen i read my emails to the court evaluators who were involved in our case and over and over and over again i begged like do something now please do something now and they never did i think they never thought this would happen and you you thought i mean he tried to lure you in right that week yeah i mean i so it it probably would have been it would have been me and your daughter it would have been my daughter i made two parent time decisions in all of the 14 years one i can look back at and say that um i know for sure that i made the right decision and one was a mistake the one mistake that I made was when my daughter was little, elementary school, and um, I picked her up on the wrong day of school. So it was like February and March often have those coinciding days yes. that are the same day as the, the same yes. date as the day, right? Yes. And so I happened to pick up on like the wrong, the wrong Thursday and Friday. You know, Thursday was early, which out, was supposed to be his time or something. Just, yes. So he called and got a detective to um, file arrest charges. I did not even know about that until a couple of years later that that had happened. But he let me know that he was calling the police, that I was in the wrong, and that I would, you know, I was in contempt, that he was going to take me to court about this in particular. So immediately, you know, poor little girl, she's having a play date. I had to like quickly get her into the car, take her over, to take him. her over to it. But I couldn't go near his house because I was going to follow all the rules. And we decided we were not going to do curbside. Like we only had a certain meeting place at a library. So I dropped her off, and she had to like walk back to his house while he's mm. in a total rage mm. and um and then i found out later that i have an arrest record for it oh my yeah gosh. <laughs> and then the next parent time decision that i made that was not by the book was the week that Om died mm. when she called me and said he wants me to come to dinner what about his parent time and my kids know <laughs> they knew they had to go yeah um and oftentimes this happens, you know, in situations where kids are told, well, if you don't go, then, you know, your mom or the dad's the safe parent, the dad is going to jail. And that's what so many evaluators in our case also threatened to with yeah. my kids. Like, if yes. you don't follow the rules, then you realize that your mom's going to go to jail. Even, even school said that. Like, if you don't show up to school and you don't do this, you don't, then you realize that your, your mom's going to go to jail. And just like the terror that a child would feel being told that. Mm-hmm. He was already in a trauma situation, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. So she called me and said, I don't, I, he keeps telling me I have to go. Is this your daughter you're talking about? And I said, don't, um, don't go. Mm. And she called and texted again. He really wants me to come. He really wants me to come. I said, don't go. I had the worst sinking feeling about it. And I know now looking back where that came from, it was messages and a couple of other things that he had sent me to try to lure me to his house that week. And I am so grateful, you know, that I, that we at least had that 
moment, she and I, mm. to connect. And I didn't tell her why. I didn't say anything else. I didn't even say I had a bad feeling about this. I just said, don't go. She's like, okay. And I think she kept doing her homework and, and I, you know, we had no idea. And then, you know, two days later, almost gone. A day later, the next day he was gone. And then he was found two days later. <laughs> so, you know, at 16, I think Om had, he had the emotional and psychological stamina of I don't know what I mean <laughs> he was just beyond his years you know say, and wisdom an and soul. understanding yeah. he withstood being you know in full custody of his dad for 18 months until until his dad killed him and I think he honestly was just staving him off I think he was doing everything that he possibly could to make sure that we were safe mm-hmm. and so, yeah and you say I mean, it was Om that freed you. It was Om who, you said you paid a price, and it was a price you didn't want to pay. But that it's ultimately what brought, what's your daughter's name? Oh, you don't I want don't to say her name. Yeah, and, and you, that's okay. And you, that's actually totally, okay. That totally. I'm glad I was like, asked. wait, I don't uh-huh. even know her name. You know, I think because she's, you know, she's still alive. She still has a life to live. Totally. She still has discoveries to make on her own about all of this. Like, she still has so much therapy to do and by the way i'm going to put in a plug for bridal of hope what's that they are so incredible because her dad was a psychologist and you know drugged the kids and used all kinds of therapy tactics and all of that that there's not there's not a typical therapy that i can yeah introduce to her you know that that is something that she would feel safe with even therapy language like Mm. just anything therapeutic typical therapeutic it doesn't it's not going to work for her right so this so, is a whole different we found kind of... equine therapy. Yeah, working with horses. Yes. And their organization is fantastic. Oh, that's They're why it's bridal. I didn't. Incredible. I was thinking wedding bridal. I know <laughs> bridal of hope like horses. Yes. So that it's like so rescue awesome. horses, rescuing girls. It's one on one. It's really phenomenal. But what's crazy is that you're not crazy. You're still the protective parent. <laughs> yes, I mean? I'll never stop. And now I'm really hoping to be a protective parent for others. Yes. I. That might sound like. I don't know. No. Presumptuous. No. You're a, an I, advocate, and so many are rooting for you. So this now, Ohm's Law, this has turned into Ohm's Law, which is, you know, in honor of her son. It was Caden's Law in Pennsylvania, and is it PK's Law? Piki's Law? Piki's Law in California. California. Mm-hmm. So it states, like, use the same model of Caden's Law. Caden was a young little girl who was murdered by her dad as well. and During unsupervised parent time. <sighs> mm-hmm. And so... Leah is working hard to get Ohm's Law passed, which is now past the first two steps, right? Yes. So we passed the House Judiciary Committee, which is important. And then we passed the House floor. So next is Senate. Senate House and Senate floor? And then Senate, uh, well, basically Senate Committee and then Senate. Oh my gosh. Uh, yeah. Okay. So what do we need to know? I mean, what's when is this going to happen? What is? What can people do? Well, first of all, I mean, the sponsors of the bill are incredible. Mm. So I've never worked so closely with legislators. I did not really understand their capacity. I didn't understand my own capacity as what they call like, you know, constituent. Yeah. Right? As somebody who like lives in the state, I didn't realize that I had, I could have a voice and speak up. Right. I think, you know, as a survivor of abuse, most of us feel like we haven't had a voice anyway. So who's going to really listen? Exactly. And after 14 years of court drama, like who's really going to listen to me? You know, but I think... Now, I feel very differently, and I also understand that it it doesn't take the 
the high intense trauma that I experienced to have credibility to yeah. reach out. I mean, protective protect parents often have this credibility deficit where they right. come in, you know, already traumatized and like, you know, you don't always present perfectly, <laughs> but yeah. um, we really do have the ability to take action. So the most important thing that we can do is to reach out to our own legislator in our own area and tell them how the our story do, how, or our family story. How do people find out who their legislator is? That's one thing I was like, <clears throat> yes, <laughs> I don't know the first step to take to support so this bill. It's, um, it shouldn't be difficult. You look on the legislative website for your state, in our case, it's Utah, and there's a place to put in your address and your zip code. Okay. And then we'll tell you who your representative is and who your senator is. And there are many more representatives than senators because they just have they have smaller areas, and then senators have a larger geographic area, mm-hmm. just like the U.S. Congress, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, but especially at the state level, I think we have so a huge opportunity, so much work to do, and a huge opportunity. So legislators need to hear thank you mm-hmm. if they're a representative for this bill passing um, the House. Interesting. Says representatives are in the house, and they need to hear a plea, like an urgent plea right now, to their senator. Just from regular citizens, just from regular, regular people, people saying. What helps is if you have a story and you have it and you keep it really brief. I'm talking about like a few sentences, right? Mine is, I'm Ohm's mom. Ohm was 16. He was murdered by his dad during unsupervised parent time. We need your help to keep kids safe in our state Mm. and this is what the law does so it's basically four different parts and there's a fact sheet that um, stakeholders have produced that show what this bill does Mm. so in particular the special part of this is that this has never happened in the u.s before so most of the time most laws about kids um, safety are very much directed toward juvenile court yeah so like keeping kids safe who no longer have either protective parents right 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 parents are not protective at all yeah um but in family law so in family law there's um there's so much more wiggle room so i like to say and i heard this from an attorney passed this on to me who it made so much sense that family court is like small claims court you know i mean we're talking about like a house a bank account. I mean, most cases are like tiny financially, right? And mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. and seem small in other ways too. Yeah. One family, one right. one household, that right. kind of thing. Family court is like small claims court, but with the highest stakes claims. It's so, so true because we're talking about kids, kids, and our next generation. Yeah. Right. So Ohm's Law House Bill two fifty two keeping children two seventy two. Thank you. Um, Ohm's Law House Bill two seventy two keeping children safe from family violence. Mm-hmm is meant to be modeled after Cadence Law, which is the national template. And what it's meant to do is only allow expert testimony. So meaning that in court cases, in family court cases, they should, the courts should be able to use that lens, that trauma mm-hmm. lens, and understand mm-hmm. like, okay, this it should go one way or the other way, right? This case is either normal, yeah. <laughs> like a usual right. divorce right. case, or this case involves family violence, this case involves abuse, and so we need to treat it accordingly. Like this is this is a special case for the specialist who right. needs to come in. Right. So, but the problem is that there are specialists out there, but not all of them are good actors. Right. Mm-hmm. Many of them, and especially the ones who oppose this bill because it's going to hurt their business. Right. Are the ones who say, we, um, you know, we're experts in family family law. You know, when they're not really experts in family violence right or have any real experience working with victims of trauma right or people who are survivors of abuse especially child abuse 
Okay, so yeah. that so is that all, so that's yeah. one component. So there are four different things that the bill does. Um, one is it puts child safety first. So we already have laws in Utah that say the courts should or may um, consider domestic violence mm. in family court, but we may. wanted to change to shall shall <laughs> yes so shall meaning must shall meaning must yes. yes they have to consider. That's another thing I didn't yeah. I didn't know. Like in these laws, one word makes. All One word makes a difference. So that's why this has been so carefully crafted, so that it's line by line, every single step along the way as we've been adapting this for Utah, mm. it all reads according to like what should be truly safe for kids. Right. Right. Because one word can make a difference. And then the expert testimony is another mm-hmm. important part. Mm-hmm. And the other part is safe therapy. So a lot of people don't realize that there's something called reunification therapy. And some extended therapy is a reunification camp where it's literally like it sounds like sleepaway camp but really it's this horrific experience that kids have when one parent who is abusive claims that they need to be reunited with the kids and so then um sometimes unknowing um court professionals will say or judges commissioners will say like oh we need to reunite this family it's really important reunification is a big term in juvenile court because mm-hmm. we don't want kids to be wards of the state. We really want them to be with families. But the issue with family court is that the reunification therapy and camps, these are being used to push kids back into situations abusers. where they're with the abuser and not only with the abuser, but meant to, it's almost like brainwashing. Totally. You know, they're meant to reunite with their abuser and then disbelief, disbelieve like that the abuse ever happened. Or turn mm. turn on the safe parent, and half the time these reunification therapists at these camps aren't even legit, right? Right, right. So mean, many of them have a, like a very very poor reputation, Basic, yeah. right? But in some ways, courts don't know what to do. Yeah. Right, they don't have all the tools that they need. There's no time. The dockets are so full. There's no time mm-hmm. for a judge or commissioner to really be able to dive into a case. They have to know right away yeah. the signs of abuse to be able to determine, you know, which direction we're going to go. And then they also need to understand who's coming in to right. give them expert testimony. Right, right. So they go away to these reunification camps. What is it like? Ninety days. Sometimes uh, they're all different. They're all different. They can go be taken away from the protective parent, the safe parent, be with the abusive parent, reunify them, brainwash them into thinking that it never happened, and that he's, this person's actually a good parent, but removes them from from the safe environment. Yes, yes, right. right. And so Ohm's law is is trying to make sure that it. What is it trying to do with reunification? That, that, that that's limited, that it's limited to only um, evidence-based mm. therapy, yeah. whatever that is. The camps, yes, that they're, they're like very, there's like tons of conflict around that. I think people are starting to see that that's, you know, obviously not a good thing. Yeah. But with the reunification therapy, that's more common. So where there's like a parent coordinator or a family therapist, family systems therapy, that sounds really incredible, but actually it's meant to smooth things over so that there's less conflict it but just, we all know who's creating the conflict I, I, yeah. is the abuse of I just was going to say but aren't the kids like I don't I don't want to go I don't want to go and sit there and doesn't it make it worse I mean did it make it worse for Ohm Ohm was the most compliant child I mean he he knew he figured out very very early that if he didn't comply that he and his sister were further abused by their mm-hmm. dad so, I mean, that's a really classic scenario. Yeah. And he also figured out very early, and this is something we never, we didn't talk about, but from his actions, I knew that this was happening, where he also knew it made it worse for me. 
Aww. and he was He's protecting his mom so incredibly protective that he would just like kind of put his arm on his sister's back and kind mm-hmm. of like guide, guide her into whatever they were forced to be doing whatever meeting whatever therapy whatever um treatment you know they mm. had to have and he i mean there's no way he couldn't have known he knew oh my gosh i mean you have like an abraham and isaac story have you ever thought of it like that? No, I haven't. I mean, I know that there's obviously there's so, there's so much abuse and you know canonized abuse. Yeah, right? yeah. But yeah. I mean, like, Stories. I just can't help but think of how you said it was like this. It's like he he was sacrificed for you to live and and you know to be free of the abuse and and we didn't mention either that his dad also it was a murder suicide, right? So which is why I'm free. Yes. What's the, what's the fourth thing in Ohm's Law? So we have reunification therapy, getting the right therapist involved, right? And it's limited. And evidence-based. Evidence-based. And it is um, child safety over parental rights. Can I say that? I mean... Yes, over abusers' rights. Okay. I mean, yeah. Yes. And then the, the last part of it actually plays into that, and that's that, that courts should um, have more training than they do. That's what it was. They're being trained by... The first part, yeah. So it's follow the laws that we already have, but let's make instead of we the courts may consider domestic violence and abuse, they they should they must, and then the next is they've got to be able to recognize it. So how, with all the things that they have to do and all the decisions they have to make, because Utah doesn't have a specific set set aside family court like some other states do. So these are decision makers like deciding about all kinds of other things, but that they should have more training to understand. And be able to yeah. triage. And Caden's law, when it was passed, didn't we? Didn't the the U.S. or like I don't even my my, my vocabulary is so limited. It's okay. But like when this law passed, wasn't there funds that are given to be able to fund it? So that's another part of the federal standard is that um, if states follow and comply with certain things, like they have to have certain content, which mm-hmm. actually is also in the Utah bill as well. Mm-hmm. It's it's modeled after that very closely. But if states comply with certain things, then they can get what's called appropriations. So it's like money from the federal government, basically free money that says here, um, you can use this to do some extra training, right? Because it costs to do that. Yeah. It's people's time and but it's just professional time. Given. That. It's just I mean, given, right? As long as this law right. passes that. <clears throat> However, it's a little different here in Utah. Every state is different. Mm. Some people feel like that there's too much oversight. There may be too many strings attached. Like mm-hmm. it's like a grant. So if you've ever like, yeah. heard or seen or written a grant, you know that there are certain parameters you have to follow. And that happens quite a bit in domestic violence education and program funding. So mm-hmm. that's what this is meant to be. It's mm-hmm. like, hey, the federal government has this money and they say, here states, you can each take some. And why be able wouldn't to we? Use. <laughs> because there are several people involved in it who don't want to take that. They don't want the strings attached. So mm-hmm. that's okay. That's all right. And you know what the judiciary, the House Judiciary Committee actually mentioned, you know, it'd be great if we have some accountability too. So fine, let's let the Utah legislature like implement this and then let the judiciary operationalize it. So in other words, like let them put it into place yeah. and decide, you know, in their annual conferences or wherever, whenever they're going to do this to put in place some extra training on child abuse and domestic violence and understand so they can understand who who the abusers actually are in these cases so that they're making the correct 
decisions along mm-hmm. the way. I mean, it just and makes not sense. placing kids in danger. Yes, <laughs> yes. Uh huh. So if they have that kind of education, then we're hoping that that not only will reduce and like shorten these court dockets because there won't be yeah. so much like protracted litigation, yeah. but also so that then they're just armed with knowledge. Yes, so here's the trouble. Um, I would say people who are opposed to this bill stand to lose money. Mm. People who are for the bill, the overwhelming majority of the House and the overwhelming majority of public and and people who understand abuse or have any contact with victims of domestic violence would be for it because all it does is just elevate the standard. So it just elevates our standard of considering where a child should be and where the safest place for them is mm-hmm. that's that's really all that it is yeah. so Online. yes there are lots of components and like lots of other things but the policy question really is should we care a little bit more about kids mm-hmm. especially kids in family court that are stuck in that right. cycle right mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that I would say probably to those that are in opposition, whether or not they fully understand this, whether or not they've had contact with someone who really has had an abuse case, even if it's not as acute as mine, Mm -hmm. um, that I understand that this would probably feel a little bit scary. We're going to limit expert testimony. Mm -hmm. What if you are someone who gives expert testimony and that's your job, like that's your career? Yeah. Yeah. This is meant to help you. It's meant to help those who actually truly want to help kids. So if you have good intentions and you are involved in any kind of court evaluations and you think you might stand to lose money on this, what's really more important? Mm -hmm. Is it child safety or is it, you know, your career? Well, then alter your career aspirations. Right, exactly. Just pivot, shift, and realize that you could become more of an expert in mm-hmm. abuse and domestic violence, get some experience with victims, understand more about how these cases work and the nuances and the challenges along the way. Cause it's like just this complicated labyrinth, you know? And even I think in my case, I was in this for so long, I still had a huge learning curve and yeah. I was the one who had the experience and the information. It's just to sort it out and untangle it is really challenging. So I think that I would probably say that if you stand to, you know, have a career change in this or you know someone who does and you feel up in arms about it, really take a look and examine what the purpose is behind, mm-hmm. you know, your business and what you're doing. And I would say that to the attorneys too. There's an attorney that came out very strongly in written opposition to legislators against this, and he was the one who helped Ohm's dad get full custody of him. He freaking represented and the And then abuser. 18 months later, Ohm was gone. <sighs> so I don't... <laughs> Even though there were lots of attorneys, he had many, many, many attorneys, and you know this one was only there in place for a short time, it doesn't matter. He heard eight to nine hours of a mediation 
mm-hmm. all the drug abuse, the sex abuse, the child abuse, all of this. And in the end of that mediation, you know, I, I said out loud on that record. So you're, you're asking me in telling me that my kids should be split so you can appease the abuser and at least give them something. Yeah. You're asking me to sacrifice my son to save my daughter. Yeah. And there really was no response to it. So that was the one solution that they could come up with at the time. And that's not okay. No. So if you're an attorney in that situation, or if you, and you know, you should be loyal to your client. Well, who are you really loyal to? Exactly. Are you, I'm like... are you, <laughs> we need to think through the logic behind all of this. It's not logical to send kids to an unsafe parent. Do the right thing. And, and I guess it's just, this is where greed and money and winning well i think we also need to reconcile the fact that um that predators exist Mm -hmm. and that's a really strong word and not every unsafe parent is as much of a predator as the next right but when kids are not in a safe scenario and look at our statute utah has a longer list of considerations for children's best interest than almost any other state Hmm. so we're really trying here yeah we're just not following them right (laughs) and the reason why we aren't following them is because the decision makers really need a little bit more training to understand exactly what they're looking at like what is the scenario lift it off take off a few more layers and take a look at who the players are Mm -hmm. who should the children be with so that they can stay safe well because there's so much it's like the parent rights at all costs the parent (laughs) Parents, the kids are just like little They're puppets. Yes. Being sent to wherever. They, I mean, there's, they, they don't have, I mean, didn't Ohm say it? Like, when will they let me speak? He was five. Oh. Yeah. He was in kindergarten. And all he knew was that there was somewhere in a big building downtown. Yeah. There was someone who was going to decide where he would live, where he would go to school, which holidays he could be with which parent. <laughs> what exact time he would have to be picked up for that holiday. And for all he knew, it was, you know, a bunch of adults in a room making decisions about his life. Yeah. And even at five, he wanted a voice. He wanted to be able to, to tell them what he wanted. And I think he really wanted to be able to speak for his sister too, because she's mm. two and a half years younger than him. So she was, you know, three. <laughs> so this little kindergartner had to step up and speak and wanted to step up and speak for his three-year-old sister and all these people with all of their degrees and all their power and everything else. Like it, it didn't happen. It never happened. And later on he did claim that he wanted to live with his dad, but he was so coerced and so manipulated and so brainwashed at the time. But also I think that in all of that, he had that underlying knowledge that That he he knew he, he was being productive. And in some ways, Ohm did just what I did early on. I stayed like and stayed and stayed and stayed. I mean, he really saved me. <laughs> oh my gosh. What else do you want to add before we close yeah, this? Yeah, let's see. We need to look at a few more things. Um, oh, I think that's something important to remember is that protective parents can't do things that normal parents exactly we're hopefully everyone is a protective parent but safe protective parents can't say and do things that 
other parents can say and do. No. You, it's all used you against send you. your child to school. It doesn't matter if they're sick or not because then you're viewed as keeping them from education. And what if that other parent is picking up on that day after school and then you're keeping them from their parent time? I mean, it is... You also can't... Um, I mean, you know, there are lots of common orders like don't badmouth the other parent, right? And so then abusers will take that to a totally different level where then the safe parent can't even teach their kids about body safety. Mm. I knew my kids were molested. I could not, I had to be so careful in what I told them. I couldn't come out right out and teach them body safety. It had to be in other ways. Mm. Um, because yeah, then it's, because you're then the, I was yeah, viewed as like going against the dad and I'm, you know, in, I'm planting ideas in their head, right? Where again, it already happened. And multiple times before with other children in his life before. So that would, I mean, just has so else, much came out of the world. Has anyone else come forward to you about their experience with him? They have since. Many over the years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think, they, I think everyone who has wanted so much to do the right thing. Um, but, you know, they were terrified too. Yeah. The difference is that you know, I end up having, you know, I have, I have children with him, known children. I don't know how many kids he has across the country. Who knows? But it's just, um, I think the stakes were probably too high. I'm sure they had the same threats too. Totally. You know, I'll come after you. Oh my gosh. And all you have to do is just show a bit of coming after. Yeah. You know, and not to scare you. Yes. Uh huh. And then you, you know, you comply. It's what abusers do. This is mm-hmm. what they're good at. That's mm-hmm. why that power and control wheel is actually a great tool because it helps identify like scenarios of domestic violence, of intimate partner violence. Right. It helps people really see more clearly like, oh, this is happening. It's not just the black eye broken arm, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. It's I wanted so badly. I honestly, this is like, <laughs> I'll say it out loud now. I prayed for something to happen like Like if i could just have some physical evidence of this like more than no one's gonna believe marital rape it really happens it happens all the time it happens every day but we don't talk about it Mm -mm. so what am i gonna do with that i mean i wanted so badly to have that black eye so i could show up at the emergency room and get the medical reports and then be able to go get an actual protective order because Mm -hmm. it was so challenging to get but instead i had to give the stories and then i have the arguments back we're like well we're a wrestling family that's why. Oh my gosh. That's why I was like, you know, on top. Like, <laughs> oh my gosh. Uh-huh. <laughs> right.
I didn't even know what the HB stood for. That's how House Bill. Yes, House Bill two seventy two. SB or HB. Yeah. So Senate I was like, Bill, House Bill. House yes. Bill two seventy two right. Ohm's law. Give us kind of a recap of what it is, what we're trying to do, what you're trying to do. Right. So Ohm's law is the nickname. Another part of the nickname also is keeping children safe from family violence, mm. and that's just so that people understand what the content is. Um, the official name on the law, the written law, is custody, child custody proceedings amendments. Mm, okay. <laughs> and the sponsors are Representative Cutler and Senator McHill. And this is happening in Utah, but it's made to be, it's basically a template of the federal law or statute that is also referred to as Caden's Law. Right. So Ohm and Caden were both killed by their fathers during um, unsupervised parent time. And the fact sheet of the law really gives the most information. So that's something that I would definitely advise people to take a look at. Yeah. And as um, the history behind this is that Ohm's Law is named after my son, who was killed when he was 16 years old by his dad. We had 14 years of mm. court abuse, many years of abuse before that, but 14 years of protracted litigation, basically being involved in family court, where I told the courts over and over again about his dad's substance abuse and sexual assault history and child abuse and the whole nine yards. Um, and over they and over. were... And through the system, when, as we were caught up in it and caught up in all the evaluations and all the extra hearings and all of these things, the courts didn't actually see or and also didn't act on what I was trying to convey. And that's really what this law is meant to do, is to help to untangle these situations, give courts more tools to really understand abuse and understand how to identify the safe parent and get kids to safe parents as soon as possible so that things don't last this long, mm-hmm. so that children are not killed, so children are not continuing to be abused. As, as long as we keep the standards the way that they are now, as status quo, things are not going to change. Right. So I have to say, I mean, this law doesn't change everything. It doesn't. Right. And it's also going to be, you know, words. (laughs) It has to be put into action. Mm -hmm. And that's going to be the biggest, that will create the biggest change. And so one of the biggest things in this law is that it says, you know, judges may consider expert testimony and it's being changed. Well, we hope to change it to shall be considered, right? So it must. So that they must consider domestic violence in cases that expert testimony is limited to only experts of abuse who actually have experience working with victims so that reunification therapy or trying to put kids back together with their abusers um, doesn't happen. Mm. (laughs) That therapy in family court cases should only be evidence-based and then that judges and commissioners and court personnel should have some extra education on all this so they can understand it better and be able to identify these cases and work through them in a much safer way for kids. It just seems like a no-brainer. Yes. Like, (laughs) hello. (laughs) (laughs) But as you can tell with the length of time we've talked about it, you know, it, it, it's complicated. It is. But what we can take from this is that the policy question is, are we going to, in Utah, enact a law that helps to start untangling this mess and keep kids safer? Do we care more about keeping kids safe or do we care more about yeah. power and control? Right. Power and control of abusers, power and control of people who are in scenarios and situations where they can stand to make money yeah. off of court evaluations. Say, money. That's really what it comes down to. Right. Okay. And and before we end this, Leah, I just did, I did want to ask how how it is that you have been able to even get through this how 
How are you sitting here right now with me talking about this, trying to make change? I mean, yes, I, I understand why, but like he, he hasn't even gone a year. How are you, how have you been pushing for this and dealing with your own grief? I think I've had, I've lived in trauma for so long mm-hmm. and my kids lived in trauma for so long and having it be, you know, um, I mean, I don't know how to say it another way, but, a, you know, a murder suicide of my son on Mother's Day weekend, like he calculated Which, it to the very end. And let's not forget, in those statutory laws, Mother's Day is always the Mother's Weekend. Right. So It's only, not an every other. should have been with me. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, thinking about him being found not until the next day. I mean, they're... The reason why I want to speak out and the reason why I think I can keep going, because I mean, so many people have said, you sh- you know, I'd be in bed. Right. <laughs> I'd be on a beach somewhere. Right. I would be whatever. But right. I, I can't ethically or morally not do this. I mean, I, I don't want this to happen to another family. I do not want this to happen to another protective parent. No parent should feel this way. And I don't, I actually don't even, I don't even blame people who don't understand or are confused about it mm. or think like, well, why didn't she get out earlier? 14 years. I would just leave. I'd leave the country. I would like, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> no, I couldn't, I didn't dare get my children passports because they'd be used and then they'd be gone. Mm. I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have seen him again. Right. If I had stayed, he would have killed us all. Mm. That's just, that's the truth of it. Yeah. The system failed. And for the people that are saying, well, why didn't she just leave? And you, we can be so grateful that they have no idea what it is. understand because it's off because then that means that means that you haven't had to experience this mm-hmm. that means that you can't wrap your head around it that means you're actually really normal <laughs> you know yeah. you're normal in your um approach to this where you think how could this happen it doesn't make any sense how could it happen to someone educated how could it happen to someone who had seemingly so much you know family support and community support and all mm-hmm. of that mm-hmm. no it <laughs> this domestic violence occurs in every socioeconomic category in yeah in Every location across the country and around the world. And let's not forget that um, domestic violence isn't always physical abuse. That's what I thought. I didn't even know that DV, like they're throwing around the word, the acronym or the letters DV. Oh, she's a DV, DV victim. I'm like, what? What? It's domestic violence. Like I didn't know it was a or thing. Or it IPV, like interpersonal violence or intimate partner violence. Really? Right. Yep. Uh-huh. But the thing is that I think that there's so such little understanding of what that all encompasses yeah. Yes. It's like uh-huh. you wait to be physically abused, bef- which is why she wanted the and black eye. Not just physical. Yeah. Right? We're talking it's the about emotional. Go ahead. Sexual, emotional, financial. I mean, the whole All thing. Of it. Uh-huh. Which yep. is often. And it can be a combination of those things or just worse. one of them. Yeah. And some, several of those things can actually be worse mm-hmm. than the physical. Because they can leave lasting scars. Right. Mm-hmm. Leah, you are like the ultimate game changer. You're a disruptor of. of in a good way. <laughs> you are making change. There are so many women that are rooting for you. Thanks. Did you want to talk about this letter? I well, uh, Let's see. Could. That's a fact. Yeah, we could. Uh-huh. Do it. It was super interesting in the house. Yeah, the house tell me about that. was wild. I mean, I got to be there. 
sitting on the floor, invited by the sponsor. And all of a sudden, you know, there was basically a pause put on the bill before there was even a vote. There was a vote to just hold it. Mm-hmm. And the stall tactic came from the Psychological Association of Utah <laughs> using several lies printed and handed out to every single legislator on the floor. And the I think the painful part for me was that, you know, Ohm's dad was a psychologist involved yes. in that organization. They put out a statement 48 hours after he was found, you know, supposedly consoling uh, anyone about the loss. But I never heard from them again. Hmm. And in fact, it wasn't directed toward me. It was to the media. I mean, it's just more... But, but you so then this, another letter put out and calling... Um, Calling groups that are for this bill and and advocating for more accountability in family courts, fringe, fringe. Uh-huh. Like, what does fringe mean? Saying that somehow this is like really on the outskirts, that there's no evidence um, of, for the bill, but it's um... now for someone like I was watching this hearing. I have never watched a, a hearing before in my life. We don't care. You were right? in the, the floor. Vote, yeah, I watched right? both. I okay, watched both. both. Okay. okay. So, but I'm watching this and, they, and they're like, all in favor say aye. They say aye. All opposed say no. And they're like, no. And he couldn't tell which was The more, speaker couldn't right. tell couldn't which tell. one. So then they and put this is the vote on the pause. Like, should we pause the yes. bill or not? And yes. pause means stall it. And yes. pause meant, you know, so this letter was sent out to confuse the legislators who probably didn't have time to really go into the details of this. Yeah. They weren't the ones sitting in the committee oh hearing listening and to I, me I, in testimony. It was like, yes. yeah, they didn't hear her uh-uh. testimony. They didn't hear all the other people that were testifying about their own abuse. And he's like, I, you know, I can't hear the majority. Let's put it up for a vote. And I guess I push a button that says yes, yay or nay. Uh-huh. And so yeah. all these lights are going up like yay, nay. And I'm like, uh-huh. oh, my gosh. oh my gosh, it's like watching. It was like watching, you know, which president's going to win. Like the majority of yays and the majority of nays. And well, I'm pulling my for, hair out. For people who care about abuse matters and domestic violence matters. Yes, they. they it, was a, it was an interesting moment. Oh my but gosh. But the pause happened. And then there was some clarification, and like I told the mm-hmm. news media too, mm-hmm. I'm actually really glad that we were able to resolve some some concerns. The manipulation of legislators should not happen at the very last minute. No, it was like this last second. Let's try to just confuse everybody. In fact, it felt like an abuser. Yes, <laughs> it felt like a, a redo of what and happens that... in family court, where there's last minute evidence. And totally, they just um, throw it out, twist yeah. it around, and you use lots of fancy terms, and then use an organization's name who I actually don't think that this was circulated to the whole organization mm. Mm. for approval all so, of a sudden. So what you guys aren't understanding, and I didn't understand, is that before the bill is presented, I don't want to say the bad guy, but the, the people that are opposed to the bill put a letter on the desks, like went and just like delivered a letter. On and the, some were hand-delivered. Uh-huh. To yes. these, what are they, to the legislators? To, to every the, legislator who had a vote. So if they were capable of voting, then they were targeted by the groups of op- opposition, and very systematically, very calculated. Yeah, uh-huh. it's cheating. And it's it, like it's... they they went in there and they gave these letters, and then the, the people they trust each other. Oh well, this seems legit. Okay, opposed. I'm going to vote against it. Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. So luckily the vote was paused. Yes. And then the final actual vote was overwhelming majority. Yeah. I mean, and I couldn't be more happy. Like oh I think gosh. people understood it within a couple of hours. Before that floor time ended, and it took a couple hours, there was 
much more understanding about what this really is. And I think that the sponsor actually said it really well when he said this, the policy issue is that we're elevating the standard of what we use to determine the best interest of the child mm-hmm. and who actually cares about kids. And if you do care, you really are going to well, promote this. Yes. Yeah. This, yeah. Is, this is like, it's a no brainer. Like you said, it is mm-hmm. a no freaking yeah. brainer. Yeah. So I think, huh. you know, no matter what it's, um, it feels like a custody battle. Honestly, it feels like I'm redoing a custody battle. Oh my gosh. But I don't have any doubt that when once someone actually understands what this is and that it's really meant to be in place in our state to keep kids safe, that they there's really no question. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, you guys. So first of all, like I felt like that needed to be shared. Like there is dirty stuff that that happens even even at the the capital. Like right under our noses. They're like, all right, pass this out, pass this out. I just am like, wait, wait, what? You think of these politicians as, uh, I am so like um, naive. But you think they're trustworthy. You think they're well, honorable. And a lot of them are. And many right? of them are, but they have so many bills in front of them. There's yeah. so much decision making. You don't get it. You know, a short get amount it. of time on our, our Utah legislative session is the shortest and if something's, anywhere in the country. And if it's stamped if it's by stamped, the Utah Psychological uh-huh. Association... <laughs> Uh-huh. I then mean, you think like, well, I, that sounds believable. They're, te- they're, sa- they're telling me not to vote against it. They're saying that whoever put this up and put this together is actually fringe, which it's not. It's like World Health Organization and several others. Um, but the, then all of a sudden, what, what should they do when yeah. They, yeah. it was meant to cause confusion? Yes. So yeah, I'm probably throwing all these poor people under the bus that are just like, oh, well, okay, I'll, I'll go I think a this. lot of them are very well-intentioned. Yeah. In fact, most of the legislators that I've met who have under who have taken the time to really understand and have heard even just a small part of even my story and understand that I could fill the capital right now with oh yeah families and children who are being affected by this today like right now mm-hmm. with people who are waiting who are putting their court cases on hold to pause until this passes because they really strongly believe that it will help Yes. Yes, that it will change things, that it could actually change the course trajectory of their children's lives mm-hmm. and their lives. So, yeah, this is extremely when, important. I, I think that most of them want to do the right thing. Yeah. The legislators in particular, they do. They just have so much in front of them, so much on their plate, on their desks, that once this is slapped on there and it sounds legitimate, then, you know, I mean, it was a very, it was a, it was a, it was, a, it was an interesting tactic. Yes. But it didn't work. Yes. <laughs> Strategic and, and, and luckily did not, it failed. Um, I think that's all. Right? I know. Are we good? Do we like close it with anything? Yeah, we will. <laughs> okay. Um, okay, you guys. So again, this is Utah Bill, House Bill, House Bill, House Bill 272 Ohm's Law. Leah is Ohm's mom fighting for this bill and for parents everywhere that want to protect their kids from abusers. Um, if you are watching this video or listening to this podcast, we encourage you to call, find out who your Utah, does it matter? Yeah, it has to be Utah, right? Utah. Senator, find now. out who your Utah senator is, and they email the Utah senator. You can email, you can text, you can call. Their information is on each of under each of their names on the legislative website. And and all you have to do is say please support this bill. I mean, because I think that's what people don't know what to do. They don't know what to do. What do they say to and the senator? And it helps with a few sentences of you know this is important to me. It helps if you have a few sentences that attaches to some experience, either your personal experience or yeah. a friend or yeah. a family member, someone that you truly know. Um, and that you care about, that means even more, especially if it's someone who lives in their area, in their district, mm-hmm. Their, mm-hmm. their geographic location, that means even more. Yeah. I mean, and if you aren't experiencing it, I promise you, you know someone that does or that is 
Use my name. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Say that you heard it here. It's fine. <laughs> Please and pass or. Ohm's Law House Bill 272. Just a tech. You can text them. You can email them. You can call them. Um, I emailed and he responded. He responded to me and he said, I am likely to um, encourage this to be passed. And I was baffled that he wrote me back, but they, they really do have the constituents in their mind. I, I, I want to believe, and I believe that they do. Um, and we'll post the fact sheet so you can use yes, the fact sheet. Yes, that will be on there. You probably see it, yeah. Also. Oh, you yeah, can send it? It's really helpful if you attach that to an email. Mm-hmm. Because they haven't even seen it themselves? Because many of them are still kind of trying to wrap their heads around this. Again, they have so much on their plate. So that's that's really critical. Okay. Yeah. I'll attach that. The other, so, the other thing that I would say yeah. also besides this bill is just this topic is challenging. I mean, it's mm-hmm. just, it's not pleasant. People really struggle with it. I think, you know, even my own family yeah. and friends have just been appalled at like what they've come to understand. And so I would say... If, I have been. I've been like, yeah. well, we're just living our own little lives. Uh-huh. And then you don't know what's really hot. Like, it really is like she's been living in a movie this horrible it feels like someone else's life yes but i just want to say one more thing and that's yes. that we we need to believe mm. it is really 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 uncommon in fact the studies show that the percentage of um lies about abuse are really minimal mm. in other words when people come forward and have the the courage to come forward they are taking their life in their hands or their children's lives mm-hmm. in their hands to in order to disclose and there are very, very few times that disclosure is a lie. Mm-hmm. Very few. I mean, even down to like the 2 and 4% kind of category when you look at studies. Yeah. So the overwhelming majority of people who actually disclose, children and adults, it, they're telling the truth. Wow. And we need to believe them. Yeah. I do it in my medical practice. That's something that's really critical to me. When someone discloses abuse, you, you stop and you take the time, even if it's just a couple of minutes, to believe because that will be the biggest game changer for them. And mm-hmm. sometimes it takes several times of disclosure or even sort of like slight testing the waters. You know? mm-hmm. So that's one of the things that I think is the most critical message besides, yes, we want this bill to pass, but right. you know what, really day-to-day in our day-to-day actual lives, we're one in three in Utah of women who are affected by mm. intimate partner violence. Mm-hmm. It is so incredibly high. It's higher than the rate of like, you know, colon cancer or breast cancer oh and gosh. everything else. So this is a public health crisis. So it's not just about the bill. It really is about believing survivors of violence when they do come forward and say something. We need to be able to get them to an advocate. The Utah Domestic Violence Coalition is a great resource. There's mm. a link line when you look on their website that you can call. If you have any questions, you don't have to be a survivor or a victim or anything else. You can just be a concerned person if mm. you hear this from, you know, an aunt, cousin, friend, neighbor, you yeah. know, sister, whatever. Yeah. Um, and maybe and maybe it's a male. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes that happens too. But the overwhelming majority of perpetrators are male. That's another thing that studies show as well. This bill in particular is not gendered. It's not about moms or dads. It's right. about safe parents. Right. That's something that's really important to remember. But I would say just we need to believe. Well, and, and the second that they are believed, it it's, it's en- encourages them, I think, to keep going. It's empowering. Yeah. It's like almost starting to give them an antidote mm-hmm. you know, to to the abuse Mm -hmm. and the deeper that someone is in abuse, the harder it really is for them to be able to recognize it. I mean, it took me a long time to get out, a long time, years as an educated adult, you know? Totally. Yeah. Totally. Oh my gosh. Well, thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. (laughs) For bringing this to light because I 
was clueless. I know that my family's clueless, my friends, like we have no idea what really goes on. So I am encouraging you from this podcast, if you're watching or listening, um, to call your Utah Senator, email, text, have them support this bill, believe the victim, um, and let's make some changes in Utah. The world is watching and we can we can speak up for abuse victims and for those that will be abused we can prevent hopefully